This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here is Ings. That's a lovely touch from Danny Ings for Armstrong. And Villa are able to scramble it away. Every chance here, they're going to get a penalty, Southampton, on that evidence. The arm comes out. No, it's not above the shoulder, but he's making himself bigger, Matty Cash. Well, the check, we are being told, is complete. And there will be no further action taken. Grealish. Barkley! After being on the back foot for 40 minutes, Aston Villa hit the front. Jay Adams. And another great save by Martinez. Ings is in! The ball is in, but the flag is up. Well, if you're not familiar with the rule that has been tweaked for this season about handball from the sleeve, the uh, line of the sleeve is effectively where the uh, marker is for handball. So if it is... The wrong side of it, which it is from a Southampton point of view, it is offside. The finest of margins. Oh, my word. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, the Villa podcast, which one listener described as probably the most thoughtful Villa podcast out there. Oh, that's nice. How are you? How are you, Phil? I worry about you. I, I, you're always in my thoughts. How, how are you doing over in Northern Ireland? It's it's not looking good. I mean, can you possibly send me over some hand sanitizer, please? <laughs> Why? Can't because you afford I, your own? No, this, it's not that. It's, Amazon won't deliver anything with alcohol in it then across the invisible sea border. <laughs> <laughs> Price is so Phil. Northern Ireland's fucked. No, yeah. no, no hand sanitizer. So you you just got to take COVID on the chin now. Yeah, just to wash myself in Irish whiskey. No, it's, I suppose it's a bit <laughs> expensive. Worst place to spend your life, Phil. <laughs> yeah, you'll be smelling nice. And how are you, uh, Mr. Chris Bird? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, but I, I don't care about myself. This is a th- the, the most a thoughtful, thoughtful podcast. podcast. <laughs> I care about you, Chris Bird. Not bad, David. Thank you very much. You must be feeling better now. Villa have finally got uh, three points after they were one win in the last uh, five league games. I was until the tax man spanked me the other day, but yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I don't want to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I, your liaisons with the... Uh, is it weekly, your liaisons with the, uh, the tax man? <laughs> it's once a year. That's more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. I'm David Michael, the editor of My Own Men Said, and your host for this show joining me mr phil and chris to discuss uh, 
I was never in doubt that victory, was it? At uh, Centenary, a minute, I comfortable thought. win. <laughs> All over them for pretty much the whole 90 minutes. Could have been more. I mean, and we thought Newcastle was easy. Yeah, no, exactly. Uneventful. We will get to the, uh, the game later. First of all, we'll go through uh, the latest uh, Villa news, the, uh, the transfer transactions in and out uh, in the three points. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, things ranging from uh, how no fans at, at uh, matches has helped the anger man- management of players, the 10-minute bill that's been introduced to hopefully solve the uh, broken governance of English football and uh, the Barcelona crisis which is happening at the moment and then ending the show keeping a link with Southampton uh, just a quick uh, overrated or underrated because there's surely not that much to talk about in terms of uh, Hassan Kashlur Lou Lul Lul Lol Right, uh, starting off with the Villa news, uh, RIP Joseph Fengloss, the Villa manager who, uh, as a Czech, he was the first uh, overseas manager, uh, foreign manager to come into an English football club in the top tier. This was a bad time for Villa because we had Graham Taylor, we were rocking and rolling, just finished second after being promoted a couple of seasons before that, second in the top tier to Liverpool, and then just as everything set up, Graham Taylor, who was the heart of everything that was happening, disappears, and you think, eh potential to build some legacy here hopefully uh, this Fengloss chap with his uh, exotic ways can uh, continue but he was always going to need a transition season wasn't he yeah yeah it was it was it was we didn't it get was, relegated no it was it was starting to age wasn't it the squad yeah. and obviously you know big ron came in didn't he, and basically ripped that squad that he had apart didn't he the next the next year but uh he passed away at aged 84 he'd have probably been my first villa manager just coming in around 1990 so but right. unfortunately, the only thing I would say is I only noticed the the vast improvement when Big Ron came in, so it's not really a, a lasting memory. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it's not as if he uh, left uh, any any legacy, but uh, it's uh, it's just a, it's been a strange period for Villa managers uh, in the last year or so. We've seen a few uh, pass away mm. with Saunders and Taylor as well. Number two, after the uh, the scandal of uh, the Manchester City goal. The interpretation of the offside decision after Rodri coming back from about 20 yards offside. Uproar from players, fans and uh, managers alike. Now PGMOOL have come out uh, to offer a new interpretation of the that offside rule. So henceforth, uh, that would not be given as a goal. A little bit too late for us, but at least Aston Villa continue to improve football as we go along. Uh, in terms of transfers, uh, Morgan Sanson, who has been in talk since December, has finally uh, signed the deal and is over and was on the bench against the Saints, obviously. Leaving us, uh, well, Henry Lansbury, they came to a mutual termination of his contract. He just held on to that, he held on to that number eight long enough so Sanson couldn't register it. And then uh, he went off to uh, sign for Bristol City. It'd be interesting to see how, uh, he, if he hits the ground running there, because obviously he hasn't had For his uh, sake, I think it's probably better he doesn't hit the ground, otherwise he'll injure himself again, <laughs> but just a gentle <laughs> easing in will probably be the better approach. Yeah, and uh, Frederick Gilbert has confirmed his uh, loan to uh, Strasbourg in uh, France has been confirmed as well to the end of the season. Meanwhile, Phil's main man, Vasilev, uh, <laughs> they brought him back from Burton allegedly. I don't. Was it? Was this? Of a, this is just fan speculation yeah, that he was back to cover. Barry. Yeah, cover Louis Barry's injury. And then the next day off, he went to uh, Cheltenham Town. So they just obviously know they, c- they can't cover Louis Barry's injury. 
No, they're just trolling me. That's all they do. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, uh, finally confirmed something that we knew within the uh, the HQ of My Old Man Said uh, Villa Park is being used as a COVID vaccination centre. So uh, you can get a jab now uh, if you live within the catchment area in the Holt Suite. Uh, we, we knew, we've known this for months, haven't yeah. we? But it's been hush, hush. Right, on to uh, the three points. This is a thing about what's happening at the moment in terms of games behind closed doors, all the different conditions now. The, the, there is a knock-on effect, and uh, some researchers have looked into uh, what games behind closed doors does in terms of uh, the anger management of uh, players and apparently uh, emotional incidents are uh, way down now. 19.5% fewer emotional incidents, such as arguments, altercations. It's probably with fans. Yeah. <laughs> there, is no, there is no fans. There's 100% fewer emotional incidents involving fans. So there's been a uh, also a stark decline in interactions involving the referee as well. This is the thing. It, make, it makes it a bit of a dead fish, doesn't it? I mean, there's a reason why they pump in that crowd noise on the TV product. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Do, no, without without the crowd to sort of get get the players' blood pumping, so to speak. It, it just it just lowers the intensity of the overall the over, the overall event, doesn't it? It does, and you have noticed. I mean, how how many matches did Jack, just for one example, and Target as well, survive on four yellow cards for out of five? I mean, it's not often that you go through maybe three, four matches without getting a booking. Yeah. So uh, normally, uh, official is dragged into thirty nine point four percent of emotional incidents, but with no incitement from the stands, the number has dropped to uh, just over a quarter, twenty five point two percent. Intriguingly, while actions involving conflict with others fell, those involving self criticism rose. Now that the players can hear their inner voices, yeah, that's a bit strange. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a weird uh, observation there. And uh, how do they uh, quantify yeah, that? Is that a, that's a strange stat? That one, if, if indeed it is even. A can strange... they read the minds of players or something? Maybe. More know. social media push going, oh, I had a shit one the night, lads, sorry. I mean, to be fair, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you do hear the odd play, you know, when they miss hit a pass, you can even go, ah, fuck. I mean, I think uh, Danny Ings did it, didn't he, in the Southampton game, where he hacked hack yeah. across out for a goal kick, I think it was. He went, that was bollocks. And you can hear him on the cameras. I, th- I think, yeah, I think the game's, a, uh, it, the whole dynamic changes. This is why it's, uh, you buy all these players and uh, they're looking, you know, some of them look good in behind closed doors I'm talking about, but to be convinced they're good players, I want to see them playing in front of forty-two thousand before you know you really cast. And how can they perform away from home in a hostile atmosphere? Exactly that mental side of it and how players cope with that is a, it's another level. So uh, that's that's going to be interesting once proper crowds. Well, crowds can, can you perform in back. front of an audience? It's the same in loads of anything anything involving performance, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's the pressure. It's an, a whole of a level of pressure. Uh, point number two. Conservative uh, former sports minister Helen Grant has actually uh, motioned a 10-minute bill to uh, get a discussion going to fix the broken governance of English football. This, there's been lots of kind of meetings and select committee uh, conversations, and this is something uh, that the F- Football Supporters Association have been push pushing, and the government has actually uh, put the thumbs up to like a fan-led governance review of football. She described the FA, the Football Association, as outdated and out of touch, and she's proposing an independent regulator to distribute funds and introduce a comprehensive licensing system for professional football clubs, etc., uh, etc. Et the idea 
essentially is to modernise and strengthen the FA. The governance of English football is broken, she says. Our national game, the beautiful game, is in crisis. And these issues have been laid bare and amplified by the current COVID-19 pandemic, during which, sadly, football has failed to speak with one, one voice. Point number three... Another thing that a pandemic does uh, highlight is uh, how unsustainable football really is. I mean, Helen Grant actually, sorry, in that first point, uh, as she said, uh, there's some championship clubs there with uh, their wage bills are 110% of their revenues, and that's just not sustainable. But you look at point number three, Barcelona on the verge of bankruptcy with apparently 1.1 billion in debt. I mean, how, how can you be allowed to get to that stage? It's it's a fantasy how these, these clubs can be propped up to that moment. Yeah, a lot of it comes from outrageous wage bills, isn't it? About 70-odd percent of their revenue goes on wages, which I think I've read that they're taking home about 200 and something million alone on gate receipts a year. Because you know, they're getting you know eight, yeah. eighty plus thousand every week at the new camp, so they have it. They're, they're one of the highest turnovers of any club in world football. Yet to be in this position, you think your executive level have made some stupid decisions, and it's a lot of it is you know unpaid transfer fees and you know poorly structured deals, outrageous wages for players who then leave, and then you don't make any profit on them. They've literally pissed money up the wall, haven't they? Barcelona are in a situation where they're not, they haven't paid Messi and co. But then you just look at Messi's contract and I mean there's some f- hilarious figures there but then you look at the 77 wait well, let's round it up it's 77 929 so 78 million euros loyalty bonus whatever that is don't forget there's a 115 million um renewal fee which was just for agreeing to the contract so this is before any wages yeah, just, are paid just, just, to, just to put pen to paper <laughs> I mean surely he's going to be happy with a million just you know oh you've agreed right okay here's a million thanks for that and now let's talk about your contract yeah growth hormone must be really expensive I mean <laughs> maybe we'll have to not get some men for the Villa team I mean that's ridiculous and you know we haven't even talked about his contract which is 555 million and a quarter million uh, for four years as well was that the entire four years or was that every year for the four years no, it's 138 a season. And oh, right. That's, Sorry, that's, yeah. be- that's before extras, like goal Goals bonus. And, and if you yeah. win the trophy and, or anything. Yeah. The startling thing about that is it's still only 75% of Barcelona's sort of turnover because, you know, you've his wages, you've Griezmann's, you've Dembele's, you've all those ones, and, yeah. and it's still only 75%. Yeah, well, they've got Coutinho, but they haven't even finished paying for it yet. When you're negotiating this contract... You know, surely you can say, well, well, we're not going to pay you any more than that because nobody else on earth is going to pay you more than that. So, uh, you know, that's our final offer. I mean, would Manchester City pay him that much? Not nah. at this age. Nah. Not, would, would any? Not I mean, they're probably the only ones that could do it. And he's at the age now where you wouldn't drop uh, big money. So if you made a long-term contract to cover him in his uh, once he starts to get into his 30s, I mean, you have to wonder what... I'd love to know what the number, if, if there is a singular number for how much Barca are making on shirt sales with his name on. Yeah. Because those numbers that... You wouldn't just, that would be huge. You wouldn't just yeah. pluck those numbers out of thin air. There must be some kind of calculation that's been done to say, you know, because if it was that absurd, Barca would just say, we just, we just, no football team can make these numbers work. It's ridiculous. So someone somewhere has signed off on it. <laughs> I'm thinking that bare contract figure that we've just given there isn't like... Oh, this is your money for playing football. I think it is name on shirts, contractual rights, image rights, etc., etc. Because yeah, they would have had they would have the data of how many shirts he's selling. Because you can go to any city in the world and there's a messy shirt yeah. in town, yeah. isn't there? But it's 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 incredible the the figure. 
But yeah, yeah, no surprise uh, they're on the verge of bankruptcy. Especially when they haven't had fans in the ground. You know, all of a sudden, if you've got the fans in the ground and you've got that regular turnover of a, a full new camp every other week, you you know, you're keeping the wall from the door. But yeah. it's like that all of a sudden you look at them a bit like what happened to AC Milan. It's like another legendary dynasty of European football has just fallen off a cliff because you're not winning on the field and they don't look like they're going to in the next few years, really. And they're definitely not winning off it either. But then neither neither are uh, neither are Real. Yeah, Spanish football at the minute's a bit fucked. Right. Anyway, while uh, or Barcelona struggled to survive, Aston Villa went into a game where it's it's a game against one of the teams that are in their ballpark, and we needed a reaction after what happened against Burnley, where for once it wasn't VAR or a referee that uh, was responsible for that defeat against Burnley. We had to look at ourselves in the mirror, and uh, we played a Southampton team who were one or two teams, I think, that just kind of walked through us. Well, gave us a good beating, shall we say, uh, earlier in the season. So I was looking forward to this game just to see what kind of reaction we got. And uh, well, they gave us a good battering again. But uh, this time, uh, fortune and uh, a stellar defence was on our side. I mean, the unchanged team going into it, was you surprised by that? Not really, because I, I had a feeling Smith might sort of give them the, 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 you know, the remit or the message that go out there and prove that Wednesday was just a blip. You know, give me a reaction. I th- I thought he might make a change. Um, I thought he might have brought in one of the wide men, like an Algarzi for a Traore or just someone like that, just to freshen things up a little bit. But chose not to. Yeah, I think we got a bonus when uh, Prowse was playing at right back. It was pretty a bit of a head scratcher for everyone that wasn't it? When you've got their most influential mm-hmm. player set up to mark our best player out of the game you think cheers thanks for that yeah I think that they were they had an injury in that position but you're thinking well the reason they beat us at Villa Park was just by concentrating on what they do best rather than trying to nullify what we can do and so yeah you'd take that every day if uh, if, if you could actually before the game put Prowse in any position you, you write right at right back the furthest away from our goal as possible so that kind of worked out for us in that respect Apart from that, I mean, I think they're probably a bit stronger than they were. I think they had a few players back in terms of uh, defence. But uh, early exchanges, I mean, the good Southampton have normally won the game against us uh, in the in the first 20 minutes. And going into this game, I mean, the one stat which uh, rings true is uh, Grealish had lost all six games he's played against Southampton. Well, yeah, because you know, in the Premier League before, he'd played in an absolutely woeful team, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. For, for two seasons. And this was our first win since... Uh, 2013, De- it was. December, yeah, December 13. So that's like, yeah, that's eight, uh, eight games without a win against them. And you could see why they, you know, they're, they're a decent team now because uh, they, just, they just seem phys- more physical and, and stronger than us. And uh, But we managed to keep them at arm's length for my, in terms of genuine chances in the first half. Well, they didn't have their first shot on target it was about 65 minutes I think mm-hmm. yeah they huffed and puffed Sister a lot they had a lot of ball and a lot of you know a bit of um, territory but in terms of actual key chance you know key moments other than the you know the penalty appeal which we'll get onto a se- into, you know in a sec um, they, they were hardly peppering the goal and actually you know when we got when we got the ball in the first half you know in that 10 minute period from about half an hour to half time-ish 
we looked we looked like we had you know enough that we could hurt them at the back. I think I think they were there for the taking defensively. Yeah, they were there for the taking defensively, but it's just there seem to be another of these formations that just something doesn't quite gel because just watching it, it wasn't as you know it wasn't quite a very entertaining match in the first half because the two the two formations didn't sort of lead to that. It wasn't you know ebb and flow, wasn't back and forth. It was you know it was real Southampton were in in Villa's face the whole time, and and the only joy Villa seemed to get was whenever the the bypassed the whole mess that was going on in their half and just got it into Southampton half quickly yeah they were going a little bit longer i think just to get it out there and that's where they were getting uh, more joy in terms of attacking southampton yeah, as, as, as i said you know southampton had a lot of sort of a lot of the ball and they moved it around really well and some of their interplay was great but in terms of like real you know end product in the final third actually i thought villa had the better of it in the in the first half i think we had the, you know, the watkins chance where he has a really sharp little turn, pops in a low shot, the keeper makes a smart save. I think we had we had a couple of really good moments in and around the penalty area. Again, like at Burnley, some of the interplay was great. And then the goal we actually crafted was a probably our, you know, well clearly was our best moment in the game. You know, a really good move, a great ball by Louise. Grealish's cross is very similar to the um Samata goal actually in the cup final against City. Yeah. And Barkley you know, gets gets his head on it. And it looks, you know, it looks a routine header, but actually when you see the replays, he's still got a lot to do when he, when he reaches the ball and he buries the chance, you know. And he, he, yeah, he, and it was, a very, it was a very clinical header because, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had complaints with Villa having headed chances and just not having, uh, well, just the technique for it. So he still had a bit to do in Villa heading terms and, uh, you know, he's, you could tell he's a bit, a bit of a cut above some of our 50p headed players, shall we say. Yeah. And then I, th- I, mean, I think, you know, if you're Southampton, you're going in at half time going, actually, we've had loads of the ball, but we've done nothing with it. We have nothing to show for it. Villa have gone up the other end and you know, relatively sucker punched us. Yeah, because we didn't have any sustained pressure. Didn't, we didn't have a corner, you know, in the first half. And that was my worry was just like, uh, it's all right in the early stages, but we're keeping them off. But if we're still giving them the ball, they're just, you know, we, we will tire. It's one of those things that on our first season in the Premier League, you know, the first game against Spurs, for example, where you defended like Titans, but you just know the last 10 minutes is going to be a rocky ride because you're tiring and tiring and tiring. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of played out a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So the main incident obviously was the, uh, in the first half was the penalty. That uh, wasn't. Situation. I thought it was a penalty. Yeah, yeah, I'm going for a penalty. Now, the, the referee didn't give it, so he, VAR didn't like overturn any decision by the referee. It reinforced his decision, so people saying get rid of VAR, you know, the penalty still wouldn't have been given. But um, looking at it in the replay, I, I think it's the penalty, because even though it hits Cash on the thigh and moves up, it's, he still moves his hand after it hits his thigh even further to make sure it, it gets there. And the ball is actually going goalward as well. Yeah, and his body yeah. shape and you know his intent is to block the shot, which you know does a yeah. great job of it. You know, it's a great save, but um, I think it's one of those ones again. You know, if, if that if that goes against you, you're going to be fuming. Yeah, now we if that was uh, a Villa attempt and the Southampton player had done that, you'd be just we we would be marching on Stockley Park, I think. Mm-hmm. Just because of a culmination of uh, you know various in- incidents, and then you see that you think you know what is this bullshit? Because uh, you know they came out PGMOL and said, well, it hit his thigh first; it went thigh to hand. But you can you know literally a ball can hit you on the thigh, it can go up, and then you can put your arm up to block the ball if it's going in and that that hand is going out so it is i mean whether it's instinctive you know the, the intent thing is uh, another thing because it can be conscious or subconscious it's like instinct isn't it yeah yeah 
Yeah. But, you know, you go back a few years before all these silly interpretations, that's just a stonewall handball. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Looking looking back again, I, I don't think Cash had any idea what corner the Southampton player was going to aim at because the Southampton player had all the time in the world to maybe to put it into the other corner. So he was just going out, like somebody said, like Schmeichel used to, making himself as big as possible. And it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. flicked off him. The old starfish jump. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss picture the scene all of your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go partner this with your team playing champagne football perfect order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app there's nothing quite like a mcdelivery at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com I mean that that became that became relatively sort of the theme of Villa's defence. You know, on a positive note, was that they they did put their body on the line. You know, throughout the game, that was something you know Conza and Mings do will have been you know have been doing for a long period now. Certainly, Mings in his in all of his time at Villa, but all of the back four as Cash well is yeah. Cash got his body on the line in the second half, and McGinn did as well. You know, they all did, and then obviously Martin as it. Who actually I thought had had a his, his distribution had sort of not been at his usual crisp standard when he was really called upon he made probably three what world-class saves in the second half certainly in the last probably you know 20 minutes because I I think I said in uh, match club at the time that we'd got to about maybe sort of 65 minutes and you almost felt like have we weathered the storm here because where's the second half gone and then you remember that there'd been two two kind of reasonably substantial injuries for Southampton loads of stoppages that there hadn't really been very much happening in the second half at either end it just kind of drifted by and Villa were very very comfortable at that point and then you just thought well surely Southampton have got to come eventually because we haven't shown much willing to go and get the second and kill the game and and and, yeah, and then this sort of the, the I wouldn't say the cavalry came but Southampton realised that they could they had to go through the gears and get after us and then it sort of became like the Alamo for the last 20 minutes yeah. but we dug in Speaking of Martinez uh, was it somebody at Arsenal I can't remember if it's a pundit or somebody at Arsenal uh Ian Wright or somebody or somebody Arsenal or an Arsenal fan said uh, that Martinez looks like he's put some weight on since he's been at Villa. I don't think they know about our Kappa kits. Yeah. I think that's more responsible. <laughs> <laughs> he was deserving of his 10th tenth, tenth clean sheet of the season. What an amazing stat that is from where we were last season. Yeah, the whole back four though was, uh, was pretty stellar. But yeah. I mean, I was thinking, why are we under the thumb here so much? This is the second half especially. What, co- what aren't we doing to uh, A, control Control it or keep them off us in in the midfield and uh, you know further forward or is it just Southampton being uh, better than us? I think it's um it reminded me of of the Leeds game and it reminded me a bit of the second half against Burnley. It seems to be when other teams you know just throw caution completely to the wind and don't play to uh, like a normal you know set pattern of pass 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 get it in the box and they just sort of lump it and you know try and get it upfield at every opportunity. We do tend to sort of not know how to continue to attack ourselves. We can defend fine against that, but we just can't play our own game. We sort of we go into our shell a bit. Because, I mean, you know, we're, we're joking uh, at the start of the show about uh, how we won this game, but we did 
get away with murder here in terms of two decisions, but we're also under the cosh and, and you know, hats off to the, the back four and keeper for keeping us in it. But it's almost like, well, I mean, we probably had more chances in the first game when we were 4-0 down. They were very clinical that day, but we were still uh, under the cosh. I'm not thinking about this game per se. I'm thinking more about the future. How do you rectify this position? Like, for example, the next time we play Leeds, where we're playing a team that is a bit more high energy and, uh, let's say, get it up a bit quicker and have us on the back foot chasing. I think it's it's teams that can play through our press. You know, if they can get past the sort of McGinn... Louise combination, which Southampton managed to do. Now they played through us. Now they didn't try and sort of do yeah. us for pace down the outside because actually both our fullbacks. You know, I think Matt Cash got uh, man of the match, didn't he, on Sky? And Target was superb again. I think I saw the stat that he had the most tackles of any Villa uh, defender this season, which is a brilliant stat against obviously his former team. He had nine tackles in this game yeah. alone. I think Phil used the the phrase um, frantic about Leeds earlier in the season, and it's those teams that can actually play at tempo. You saw City did it, Manu did it to a certain extent, Leeds did it you know, brilliantly, obviously Southampton did it against us earlier in the season, but it's those teams that can cut through and negate McGinn and Louise and not allow them to get on the ball, which they couldn't. I think when Louise has time to sort of pop the ball around, we, 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 you know, we, we tick. Speaking of this, though, so we're under the cosh, and we, you're talking about this when teams have more energy, and you're thinking, why haven't, we, uh, why hasn't Smith done anything to uh, address this? And the, you know, the idea of uh, substitute was something that uh, a lot of Villa fans across the board were thinking, why hasn't this happened? Now you understand, you want to keep the, you know, you, you're under the cosh, you've got players in formations, but you're not going to sub anybody in the defence, so that they know their task, they know exactly what's happening. But in terms of uh, doing something proactive to stop this uh, onslaught. Now I'm 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 sorry, but I think you could take Truro off and bring on uh, Ivan El Ghazi or, or probably more Trezeguet just to uh, have a bit more energy and uh, backtracking on the on the wider channels just to cut off you know some of their supply or even El Mohammadi if if you really need to. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we we I think we both called that you know, in the last twenty minutes that at least with Trezeguet he'll tuck in and just give Cash a little bit of you know if you can cut off the supply line you give yourself a chance or El Ghazi as well because they've both got that hit and run thing about them, haven't they? Where if you need to transition and, you know, and play on the break, at least they'll get you up the pitch quickly. You know, Jack had a couple of good breaks, but didn't do as much. I think Target bombed on a couple of times. And obviously Watkins is always a willing runner, but we never we never managed to sort of catch them on the break very much in the second half, which I thought we'd get the opportunity to do, but we, we just didn't have, whether it was the composure when we got possession, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Because normally you would, uh, we mentioned this before, you would bring on your enforcer, which when you look at our bench, it, it's Nakamba. Now, the, the problem here is there's such a gulf in class between, so you're going to, you want to try to uh, shore up shop a bit. So what do you do? Take off Barkley and bring on Nakamba? Suddenly your team weakens, doesn't it? Even though Barkley's uh, still finding his way back after being out for so long, there's a certain train of thought you'd rather have Barkley in there than maybe Nakamba. If Nakamba was. 100% you were confident about him being an enforcer, then yeah, you make that switch. But at the moment, it's like it's not a done deal, even if you've got a fading Barkley. So maybe that's in the uh, back of Smith's mind, wh- wh- why he wasn't proactive with that, that what would seem a logical switch if you're just looking at the positions of the players rather than you know the, the personalities behind them. Yeah, um, it's like when you when you take off a Barkley and bring on the Cambridge, you're automatically sitting deeper, so that invites more pressure. So yeah. And, in, in my opinion, the way to counteract these teams that do this is do what Burnley did to us. You know, 
long and into the corners. You know, yeah. it's 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 not pretty, but it's it's territory. And if if Jack gets in the corner, you've seen it a couple of times in the second half. You know, that ball's sticking there for five minutes. Is he going to do a trick and get into the box? Maybe get a penalty? Maybe get a corner? You know, it just relieves the pressure and lets everybody move up further up the pitch. Yeah, because we're under such a, a, a relentless uh, assault. You know the back end of the game. That when you're thinking about subs, you th- you're thinking that you know another logical choice would to be bringing on a third centre back just to help out with the bombardment. Mm. But there there isn't that. You can't bring on uh, Morgan Sanson because it was hardly a uh, situation to blood him in. I mean, maybe you could. I mean, he like he does like a tackle apparently, but I just think when he's when he's had one training session, I think it was. Um, yeah, it's no, probably exactly. not fair to throw him. I mean, in, in that scenario, you need to know your roles. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then. Uh, Villa didn't really look like they were going to get a second goal and kill the game, I'll, I'll be honest. No, we just didn't show willing. I think it was probably there to be got, but we just didn't didn't grow into the second half, which you thought we might do. There was one breakaway with him again, but he either handed it or was fouled or there was no foul. It was just a bit of a mess in the middle, I think. It was, probably was a yeah. handball when you were looking back. And Watkins had a good break, didn't he, where he thought, just slip Jack in and he's got a chance there. And he, and he delayed and delayed and then they, they kind of fluffed their lines a little bit. Grealish where he went to the right to Watkins rather than to the left with Barkley who was kind of free so, yeah. or through yeah and Target had one when he overlapped and he put a really good ball in there was there was sort of half chances but there was nothing you know no real sort yeah. of big moments and then uh, it was almost like a throwback to uh, when you expected the opposition to score in the last minute pretty much always yeah. a few years ago when uh, suddenly the ball was in the net but it's, football's weird now because I, I find it hard to celebrate our goals and when the opposition scores I'm I'm not crying straight away I'm like yeah let's see what happens first no well the, the, the flag went up straight away and yeah. it's like usually that would be the first sign of relief but now when the flag goes up I'm going, I'm going, I'm going that's not that's not offside and you just you just knew that was like, the reverse thing wasn't it you saw the flag and you thought hey we're alright there lads no, you you saw the flag like nowadays, but when when you looked at that, you think to yourself, it's close. But I, in real time, you're thinking that's not offside. There's no way that's offside. Yeah, no. When, and at the first replay, when they showed it at normal speed, you think, oh fuck, he's onside. <laughs> Shit, and you think that's oh, one all. And then, uh, but now because it's unpredictable, it's not. It's not. You know, it's not a given. So you know, for example, I'm I'm there just like waiting for the decision because it's not a given now. I looked at that. I saw he was he's onside. Come on. Apart from that arm, but you're thinking, well, it's just because you don't. You know, the rules are wishy washy now. They can go any which way, and uh, and he left when uh, you know they let it go. Do you know? I, I was quite disappointed in Danny Ings actually. When I, I really rate him, I think he's a really good striker. But I, for the for a huge parts of the game, he went missing. I thought, and he didn't he didn't do fuck all considering how hyped he's been and how you know for a long period he was the form striker, wasn't he? <laughs> so what you're saying? He didn't deserve he didn't deserve the call. <laughs> no. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think I think Villa, Villa's defence had dug in and Martinez had made the saves. I think at that point in the game, if you're talking about earning a bit of luck at Burnley, Villa did fuck all to earn any luck. To be frank because the way they defended and performed in that second half. In the last 20 minutes, St Mary's though, I, I would say that Villa, they dug in so well that you deserve a little bit of a break sometimes. So what you're saying, the football gods yeah. are saying, oh, this is great defending. This is really good defending. Yeah, let's give them, uh, let's give them that decision. Yeah, they've earned a bit of luck. <laughs> Fuck those I mean, I, I, Yeah, Martinez had made three <laughs> incredible saves, hadn't he, at that point. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes and you just you just the, think it's your day, and sometimes it isn't. You know that brilliant triple block as well, where yes, uh, yeah, from, the, from the corner, it and the, yeah, and then it hit him again because he threw himself in front of it. Yeah. And then Cash cleared it off the line. Yeah. That was that was the moment there that was won. But it, it did remind you. Uh, I mean, we were doing that 
first game of the Premier League, we were back, but it was we just found it hard to maintain. But now we've got a bit more of a cutting edge on the counter. If we're holding out, we can release the pressure and uh, obviously grab a goal and win games as opposed to just holding on and, you know, as long as you can before you, you know, the, the dam breaks. Mm-hmm. In the context of the week after that Burnley result, uh, I think we needed to, uh, we did need to win it really if we wanted had any aspirations above just hanging around mid-table. So uh, a big thumbs up in terms of the results and uh, the way some of the decisions have gone against us this season, at least it uh, balances that uh, quota up a little bit. Yeah, and it, it sets up the, it sets up the week after nicely, doesn't it? With West Ham and Arsenal to come, you think right now's now's your week to go and make a dent on the top six places. Yeah, tough games, but uh, we'll see what happens. West Ham, uh, we need some payback there. Right, uh, I think that's enough on the uh, the game. The difference a win makes, so uh, after that Burnley result, uh, is, is it's massive how uh, how it affects one's week nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> since there's little else uh, in lockdown. Anyway, we'll get into uh, a qu- very quick over and underrated and this week's subject, played for Southampton as well, Mr. Hassan Kashlu. I thought, <laughs> just looking at the notes you put down, I thought that said exotic... John Greengrocer, but it's uh, John Gregory, no. <laughs> who uh, signed uh, Mr. Hassan Kashlu. Why did we sign him? Well, it was you know Gregory's seasonal dip into the international market to find some randoms that we've n- not really heard of. Obviously, we'd, we'd bought Kashlu's uh, um, a Moroccan teammate, Mustafa Hadji from from Coventry, who we just relegated, by the way. Note. He was the main man. This this was a this was just a, a little friend yeah, for him, kind wasn't of like it? Really? Version. Um, Pay one, get one free. Yeah, we we snapped him up on a Bosman. (laughs) Um, Cashelall had been due. I think he'd almost agreed at that point to go to Ipswich and um, that it was was basically a done deal. And then Villa must have obviously swooped in at the very last minute. And I think Southampton and Ipswich were both pretty annoyed by that. Yeah, uh, Rupert Lowe, the uh, Southampton chairman, said, I thought it was a disgrace. They they put this publicly on the uh, Southampton website. A joint statement, both clubs did. Um, they said, you know, the, the club has shown great trust in Hassan, but unfortunately it has not been re- reciprocated. This is Deadly Doug at his finest, I think. Yeah. He gave his word, he gave Ipswich his word he would sign and then he went to Aston Villa. Yeah. I mean, it was an interesting well, summer's I mean, business because we'd, we'd obviously bought Olaf Melberg, who'd obviously gone to be a, a Villa legend, Balaban, Schmeichel, and obviously Hadji as well. So it was a bit, a bit of a mixed bag, should we say. You know, he chose Villa over Ipswich because of uh, nine, the 1980-81 stroke season when Villa and Ipswich were neck and neck for the title. Now, if Ipswich had actually uh, pipped us that year and then went on to play in the European Cup, then maybe the lure of Ipswich, right. the lure would have been stronger. Interestingly, but, uh, both, both those sides were in the UEFA Cup that year. Obviously, Villa went out seasonably, you know, in the first round, and Ipswich went on had a bit of a run, didn't they, when they beat Inter Milan? Yeah. Well, they've won it as well, uh, yep. the UEFA Cup. Yep. They had a good team in that era, early 80s. We did well to win the league uh, when we did. Right, uh, sorry, we're digressing because uh, Mr. Cashley hasn't got much to offer, really, has he? <laughs> I, I can't remember my favourite moment of his in a Villa shirt, really. I mean, he's got a couple of goals. Uh, the Leeds goal was probably yarder. the stand- Yeah, the one when he smashes it in from the goal line virtually <laughs> against Charlton. But the, the, the standout yeah. moment, I think, would be the he did like quite an acrobatic volley at Ellen Road in a a 1-1 draw against Leeds, but he played, you know, the first half of that season, he was regularly in the team. And then I think he got an injury against, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday, we played him in the League Cup when we got knocked out. And he had a number of sort of niggling injuries and he, his, his sort of 
his powers waned, should we say, as, the, as that season went on. And then obviously Graham Taylor arrived. I think he drew his power from the Intertoto Cup. So as soon as we got knocked out, he was just useless as a player. Yeah. And then obviously Graham Taylor <laughs> arrived in the obviously when, you know, Gregory had thrown his toys out the pram and left. And um, and Graham Taylor just didn't fancy him. That was a weird period, uh, the Graham Taylor return. It was just the oddest time because this is somebody that... It was the epitome of don't go back. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I don't know how it is in terms of your age, but if you remember like vividly the, the Taylor years and it was such a high, it was like the first good time since we won the, the European Cup. And you actually felt this is a team, you know, taking on anybody, going places. And then to have that same man back, and it's the club was a bit of a car crash. There was... Uh, We'd hit a glass ceiling, hadn't we, then? It was like a squad of odds and sods, and there was no real identity there. And he was just like plugging holes, wasn't he? Yeah. As the, sick, as the ship was sinking. Yeah, it was my... Apart from the when Brian Little took over, it was the second sort of real fear of relegation that Taylor season, because it looked like they were just sinking and sinking and sinking until the sort of pulled themselves up at the end. Yeah, and by, and by that season, Cash Lord had sort of lost his place in the team. Um, you know, and then was it Taylor when, that sent him out on loan? No, that would have been O'Leary. It was the, the following season. Um, I mean, no, he was obviously a midfielder. but He, he went to have, Wolves. Yeah, he, he, he would have struggled to get in the side a lot anyway. You know, it was, it was a relatively strong side back then with obviously Merson, Hendry, George Boateng. Hadji would have been in and out of the team as well. And then when O'Leary arrived, you know, we had players like Hitzelsberger had come to the party. You know, Barry was stepping it up. We just had a, a stronger side. And on the left-hand side, you know, Peter Whittingham emerged as well. So, To be honest, it's either Villa or Wolves that put him off football because after his experiences in the Midlands, he went to Livingston, played eight games there, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, like no more of this football. Well, they, shit. they tried to sign him as an amateur, didn't they? <laughs> Did they? Yeah, they, they got into a bit of trouble where they they thought they were signing him as a free agent because he was signed outside of the transfer window and he, he played under an amateur status. But the um, the SPL found out that it had been discovered that he'd been receiving income from Livingston, and Livingston had argued that um, they'd gained no competitive advantage by having him. <laughs> I was thinking, why would you move to Livingston if they weren't going to pay you? I mean, of course, Bizarre. of course, they're paying him something. <laughs> He's doing it for the love of football. He's I've loved it. Wolves and Villa have, have, have just made me decide I don't need to be paid for this. <laughs> I'm just doing it from the bottom of my heart. That's a bit of a weird one. So where, where is he now? What's what's happening now? He's a, he's, a, he's a property developer, isn't he, Phil? Yeah, he's a property developer. Um, apparently where? Is the, well, according Livingston. To him, <laughs> all, all over the, the place, show. I think. <laughs> Wherever he can yeah. get the gig. Yeah, he's, uh, his dad was a builder, and he says that nothing will beat the buzz of playing, but uh, when I was a player, he was always like looking at interior design and architecture so he could get involved in a couple of properties, and th- that helped with the transition when he quit. He recommends that a player would start to think about his future. It might come earlier than you think, so you, you have to have something on the side as a good idea. So it's probably All sound right. advice. But I, my stat to remember is I, I cannot... I've looked... Looked at here, says he was six foot one. There's no way Hassan Cashlow was six foot one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, up, I'm gonna upgrade myself a few inches. <laughs> well, you might as well. But I don't. Was he five eleven? He might be six. You never know. He's not getting away with that. No chance. Yeah, I can't even. I mean, that's that's probably one way to describe him as a player. To be honest, let alone his height. Anyway, let's uh, let's cut to the chase. Uh, underrated or overrated? Phil, overrated. I'm going to say overrated because like, the, the fact we stole him off Ipswich is not as if we stole him off going to somewhere 
De- decent. Yeah, he was, wasn't exactly a marquee <laughs> signing, was he? It wasn't a coup no, getting him on a Bosman. You've yeah. got to remember Chris Bird's equation. I always like to look at, did he cost us anything? Well, he was a Bosman. So <laughs> how, how does that factor into your... Uh... I think, well, was it a deal, was it a deal worth doing? We didn't really gain that <laughs> no. much from it, did we? No, because at that time, it was like I remember getting the, the squad poster for the wall every year. And in that, that year's squad, it was like the poster nearly covered the whole wall. There was that many people that just had landed in the squad. And him, Haji, would have done about half of them. It was the most bloated squad I can remember. I mean, if, if he was there to help you know, give, you know, be a friend to Haji and Haji scored 20 goals in the season and yeah, you'd understand set it, the then, world you? on fire, then you say, yeah, go on then, if it's two for the price of one. But yeah, for me, overrated. Yeah, or, I'd, you know, I'd, go, I'd point, go with overrated pointless. as well. I, did, I didn't mind him when he came on, though. I, I, I had a soft spot for him at the time. And he was he was half decent for Southampton. Well, he, he kept them up, didn't he? I think it was on the last last yeah. day of the season before. I think it would have been on the season before that he'd, he'd he'd had a big impact there, but he just he just never never got going really at Villa for whatever reason. Yeah. Anyway, enough of him. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and on to the next one. Uh, first of all, I just want to say a massive thank you to uh, the My Old Man Said patrons who have uh, supported the show and are enjoying the uh, Mom's Patron uh, podcast channel, which has uh, a couple of shows uh, coming out uh, this week. Also, you get access when you become a patron to uh, Match Club, which is our match day private club, which we're not allowed to talk about. It's that private. Thank you very much to uh, Ed Lawrence. Dan Lane, Simon Marcus, and Lee Geraghty for uh, signing up as patrons in the last week, and for Cameron as well for upgrading. And also, uh, at the moment, you can also sign up annually and get two months free, saving yourselves 15%. So thank you very much uh, for the annual subscribers as well uh, in the last week or so. David Blick, James Hill, Carl White, David Sylvester, Russ Wilson, Alex Pendleton, Mateus Engstrom, Ian Mitchell, Alan Jones, and Ronald Bride. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to support us and get access to the uh, podcast channel and uh, Match Club, go to myomansaid.com and check on the Patreon link on the menu for more details. And uh, we will see you uh, in Match Club. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe on Apple because the, the, we've got midweek games uh there's no real structure to the release dates of the show so it's best to uh subscribe if you're listening to it on apple spotify or whatever good podcast app to and if you're on apple uh, do drop us a review as well to uh, help other people uh towards listening to the podcast as well right until next time it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye goodbye Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.